I've interviewed so many fighters that I'm like, I can't believe how quickly you became a professional at this. Did you just start? You started off with a compliment? Trying to ease sure into did. this, you just want you want to make sure I don't come at you hard, ask you any hard questions, because I am <laughs> such a professional podcaster, you know. So all the good stuff comes out here. And that's the voice of comedian Jamie Kilstein, and I'm Chris Weidman. This is Won't Back Down, presented by Bio Accelerator. Jamie Kilstein is the host of A Fuck-Up's Guide to the Universe, excuse my language, host of the Rear Naked Radio show, and has made several appearances on Joe Rogan's podcast and Conan O'Brien's TV show. He's a longtime comedian. You can find him on Instagram at the Jamie Kilstein, but you're going to look him up and realize why this guy doesn't have that many followers, um, and it's because he was canceled. And the crazy thing about it is that he was the head of the cancel culture for a very long time. Um, and he was a very far left progressive guy that was uh, a male feminist. And a lot of his day was spent on Twitter, along with other Twitter mobs, trying to bring people down for things that they got caught doing until it was turned around on him. He was accused of predatory behavior by a few women. Um, none of it came to fruition. There was, according to him, no truth to it at all. And that ruined his name and the cancel culture came after him and he was canceled. And that's why he doesn't have many followers today, but he is trying to restart his career. And so I first came across Jamie Kilstein because of my producer, Troy Farkas, unbelievable producer. What he told me about him is that he's a super funny guy, um, very successful, but he was a part of this far left cancel culture. And I always was fascinated from those people, people I've seen that spent the majority of their day online trying to bring people down. And I wanted to hear his side of the story and give him a chance to, to tell it. Coming up on today's show, uh, Jamie and I are going to talk about his story and how he's using it to become a better man. Plus, we'll get into his love for MMA and how he became great friends with one of his idols, parenting advice, and so much more. All of that is coming up in a moment. But before we begin, I want to tell you about Won't Back Down's presenting sponsor, BioAccelerator. BioAccelerator is the world leader in stem cell therapy and regenerative medical research. Through the use of their powerful golden stem cells, they help patients heal from joint and orthopedic injuries, autoimmune disorders, spine and disc damage, and neurological trauma. I unfortunately had to reschedule my trip to BioAccelerator. It was scheduled for the end of August, but I get to go next week. And I'm super excited to head down to Medellin, Colombia. I know a few people have been down there now and they've had amazing results. They feel brand new. Their injuries pretty much are healed. And I'm excited to see what they could do for me. All right. Here's my conversation with the comedian, the podcaster, and the noted fuck up, Jamie Kilstein. Yeah, and after doing uh, some research on you, obviously you're a big time comic. You've had, you got your um, a big podcast. You've had other podcasts in, in the in the past. Um, you've been through a lot, um, which is a big part of what this show is all about, and to help inspire people. You know, help people see that like no matter what you're going through, somebody always has it worse, and you can get to the other side. Um, you know, and just inspire people that way. But you're also big. <laughs> that's my uh, that's my role, you guys. Even if you don't like me, have me be the guy where you're like, well, it could always be worse. I could have well, had you, kills. Yes, 
Well, every, look at me. I'm freaking 25 surgeries in. You know, I, I'm finding guys with 104 surgeries, right. you know, and then I'm talking to them and I'm like, all right, I, I'm not I got nothing to really complain about over here. Right. And then people you know? look at you and it's like, I mean, people look at you and they don't even think about the negative stuff because there's been so much good that you're like, yeah, surgeries are, are what happened, but have no idea what it's actually like to be in your position you know we just see the good i mean for me man it helps so much when people i look up to i just hear that like oh you've been depressed or you struggled or things have been hard because when you're in it you just feel like the world is against you you're such a piece of shit and everyone else is just you know posting pictures of their beautiful family on instagram Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone, you feel alone. You don't feel like anybody really would understand what you're going through. And it's a, uh, it's a really tough situation when you're going through that. Um, but before we get into all that stuff, because I yes. know you got tons of stuff to talk about that I think is super inspiring for people to hear and, and interesting, very different. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to, you know, pick your brain on it, but you're a big jujitsu guy. Uh, yeah. you're an MMA fan. So, uh, how'd you get into all that? Well, so I actually, you know, I forget because I've always had imposter syndrome about being like a fighter because I'm a, a little comedian guy. But I started MMA when it was shady, when I was like getting VHS tapes from the adult section in yes. Blockbuster yes. and like ordering uh, like Pedro Hizo VHS tapes from like Japan on like MMA forums on America Online. And so I started... You know, I grew up on martial arts movies, and even though I was sort of like a stoner in a band, martial arts was it was the only sport I was interested in. I failed gym class, which uh, is not hyperbolic. You can actually fail gym class. I would just get high and pretend I forgot my shorts and just sit out. That's the one class I'd never failed. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, I English our music was mine, uh, like our band. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But gym, I was just ugh, and. Uh, but martial arts that I loved. And so I started, I started Jeet Kune Do, uh, which was Bruce oh, Lee's man. martial arts in, in, in 1998, 99. And, uh, you know, what I loved about it is Jeet Kune Do was pitched as what MMA is now, which is, hey, you know, forget karate, forget katas, um, you know, Bruce Lee, belts don't mean anything. They're used to hold your pants up. Bricks don't hit back. Like, you know, you want to fight. But the problem was it was becoming kind of commercial. And so a lot of these Jeet Kune Do places were turning into kind of more highbrow versions of what they would criticize, right? So sure, there aren't katas, but when you're doing the trapping hands Wing Chun stuff against a non-resisting opponent, it's essentially a two-person kata, right? And so this is like super dorky history for the MMA fans. But before Conor McGregor, Straight Blast Gym was founded by this guy named Matt Thornton. And he kind of, he was a Jeet Kune Do guy. And, but was doing some training with Hicks and Gracie, was doing some training with Randy, and was like, oh, a lot of this JKD stuff is bullshit. And essentially started doing challenge matches, just like, you know, your boys at Henzo's used to do uh, yeah. back in the day with jujitsu. Mm -hmm. And he would go, JKD guys would come in, they would videotape it. He would use MMA, beat the shit out of them, blah, blah, blah. So I started to <laughs> what a time to be alive, man. What a time to be alive. Oh my God. I just mean, just even... put me, put me in the past a little bit. Give me, give me like, give me another, give me 20 years. 
Give me Who 20 is- years ago and just drop me off there. Oh my I God. Get some just, challenge matches. Just some like, just some blue belt kid. I mean, when you hear, you know, you train at a Henzo, when you hear about just Sean Williams and Danaher, just giant bodyguards and stuff would just come down to the basement and they would just beat the shit out of them. And then it's a day you're either friends or that guy leaves, I guess. Like, I don't yeah. know what you do after you get beaten up in a challenge match, but so he would do that. And, um, you know, a word got out in MMA forums uh, that you can know is kind of bullshit. And so at the time, a straight blast gym opened up in Hamilton, New Jersey, in a strip mall. And the guy was a blue belt. And I just I showed up kind of, you know, thinking my JKD would work. You know, I'd got moved to the advanced section. I was, you know, really loved it. And I walk in and some jack dude was eating pizza. And I was like, you can't eat pizza before you train. And the coach was like, I mean, technically, if you're going to be in a fight, you're probably going to you're not going to be warmed up. And I was like, OK. And so I signed a waiver and he was like, go spar Dan. And I was like, spar. And he was like, yeah, just like box around a little bit. And dude, I mean, this guy went easy on me with just a jab. And I remember in my head, I was thinking of all the Wing Chun. OK, he's going to throw a punch and then I'm going to parry it and hit his bicep and come around with a back fist and all this stuff beat the shit out of me for two minutes. I went, I threw up and then I signed a waiver. And that was kind of when I started doing MMA in like 2000. And those, those are sorry to interrupt, but those are some of the best videos of all time. Watching guys who they think they have it all figured out. They're this specialist in, in martial arts and they think yeah. they could do all these, you know, hand traps and, you know, they're going to take your one finger and put you down to the ground. And then they were actually like in there with a guy who knows what they're doing. And yep. It just falls to shit because (laughs) like reality, you could just see reality hitting them in the face. And yeah, it's, it's one of two ways. They just completely deny in their own head that this is happening and it never happened or they do what you do did and probably learn from it. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I'm sure that, you know, jujitsu will and MMA, it'll be the metaphor for all of the kind of struggles we talk about in this episode, because yeah, I always remember BJ Penn saying that too. Like those are my favorite stories. So many of our heroes, you know, it wasn't like, Hey, how'd you get into MMA? And it's like, well, I was walking down the street and I saw a girl getting mugged and I beat up five guys. And I was like, Oh, I should do this for a living. It's Mm -hmm. like BJ Penn being like, well, I thought I was tough. A girl beat the shit out of me on the first day with like triangle chokes. And then I signed up. And I think that that's why some of my closest friends are fighters because they know what it's like to be humbled and it doesn't go away. I mean, you continue to get your ass kicked every time you think like, I got to figure it out now, you know? (laughs) Um, And so, yeah. So I, uh, once comedy took off, I went on the road and got totally out of shape, was drinking, was eating shitty. I was just like, I'm an artist now, uh, like smoking cigarettes. <laughs> and uh, then when I got back to New York, um, when I was probably like 26 or something, I was like, this isn't okay. Like, I got to get back hard into jujitsu. Found Marcelo Garcia's and thought I was a blue belt because of you know, all my ass kicking in the strip mall in Hamilton back in the day. But I was like, well, you know, Marcelo's it's a little different. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to say I'm a white belt. They're going to be so impressed with me. I'll probably get promoted on day one. Uh, walked in, got the ever living crap kicked out of me by white belts, by blue belts. And I was just like suffocating being like, I'm a white belt. I'm a white belt. And then, yeah, I stayed there for like 
uh, I think nine years. And then after the divorce started moving around a lot, uh, a bit and training more. I could. Marcelo Garcia is um, to me, one of the best jujitsu guys ever. I mean, I don't think, I don't even know if it's, it's, I don't even think it's a question. I'm saying like, it's a question. I, I, I think he is. Um, he's yeah. up there, maybe top, I mean, top five, top three. Um, My just favorite. because how small he was too. Yes. And the people that he was submitting, like the technique that he had, do you ever see, did you ever see that video of him uh, rolling around with Ben Askren? Dude, I will watch that twice a year. Yeah. There's like like I have like there's like an episode of The Office I'll I'll, I'll watch. There's a uh, I'll watch Prince playing uh, at the Super Bowl when it rained. Like there are just a couple of videos I have unlocked that I'm like I need to see it. Um, and that was peak Ben Askren, and yeah. it was. I mean, it looked like he was making fun of him. He was in the, he, and people think Ben, it sucks because people think Ben Askren sucks because he got knocked out by Jorge Masvidal. Sure. He got knocked out by Jake Paul. So his, he's mean, his meme is everywhere, you know, yeah. and people just think he's, you know, he looks like shit and he wasn't athletic. He wasn't ever good. He was one of the best wrestlers that sure. we've ever had in our country, yes. um, especially in college wrestling. He was an Olympian. He, you know, he didn't become an Olympic gold medalist or even place. But when it came to like college wrestling, he changed the whole sport. He had no athletic ability, but just right. with his mind was able to come up with moves that no one ever even thought of before yeah. to figure it out and, and ways to beat these super talented athletic guys. Yeah. And so he deserves a lot of props. And then in his early MMA days, I think, and I think he may have just had like one yeah. or two fights or something. He did Abu Dhabi and he was right in there. He ended up getting submitted by, um, What's his name? Pablo or something from uh, Brazil. One of the yeah. best black belts, multiple time world champion. I'm forgetting his name right now, but um, he was so good. And as a wrestler, usually if you're on top of somebody, your base is good enough. Like you're not getting swept. Like it doesn't matter how good the guy is. Then you watch the video of him rolling with Marcelo Garcia, which I thought like at least, you know, he's bigger than Marcelo. He's sure. on top of Marcelo. He's going to hold his ground and he'll do all right. He got ragdolled by Marcelo. Yeah. in such a sweet nice gentle way <laughs> yes. it was yes. it was amazing to watch yeah i mean i was there with marcelo I, i've watched him from like a foot away uh spar lovato damian maya like and it's bernardo you know when bernardo became an instructor he was sparring bernardo every day and bernardo was huge um and it was so wild my my favorite marcelo store well this is how much he loves jujitsu so two little Marcelo things is I remember I I've never considered myself an athlete until like a month ago like I've always done MMA jiu-jitsu but I never did strength and conditioning I never ran I never really looked like an athlete I kind of took like the Askren route yeah. um and where I was like I was smart I could ask the right questions I could be patient I didn't really have an ego that's how I got good mm. and and the uh but recently i'm like this is bullshit i'm almost 40 and i've never had abs like i'm doing strength and conditioning and uh but the i remember i asked marcelo when i was a white belt because i was so scared i was going to get injured and i was like hey if i have like an and i was already training six times a week uh, a couple two a days as a comedian as a professional comedian like it's not so you were like dialed a, in you're you're 100 you're focused and, on this yep, yeah yep and like his first string of black belts were blue belts when i started and and I was just like, and they were all younger than me and jacked. And I was like, I'm putting myself on this side of the mat um, with them, uh, not with like the hobbyists. And mm. so I asked Marcelo once, I was like, hey, for, you know, for jujitsu, what's the best um, 
should I be lifting weights? Should I, should I be running? Like what will help me the most with jujitsu? And he was like, Oh, James, you got to uh, just do more jujitsu. And I was like, right. No, no, no. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take away a day of jujitsu. Like maybe one day I'll wake up early, like for injury prevention. Should I, should I lift? Should I? And he was like, Oh, I see. And he was like, just do more jujitsu. And this happened. Like we were doing a comedy bit for like five minutes that that was just all he gave me because that's, all he knows. And, you know, his point was kind of kind of made sense. He's like, the more jujitsu you do, the more aware of your body you'll be. It's not the most scientific. And then you will get injured less. And I was like, OK, but then and this is the most inspirational story to me. And it ties into that. There was an interview with him during his heyday when he was winning Abu Dhabi when he was, you know, all that stuff um, where they asked him, you know, what makes you the best? And that's what most people if you're being humble, you'll say my team. If you're not, you're like, I'm the fastest, I'm the strongest, whatever. It's your time to shit talk. And he, like he was shit talking, said, because I love jujitsu more than anybody. And that to me, if you're an artist, if you're a podcaster, if you're a fighter, whatever you do, if you take that approach where it's it's not it's not a chip on my shoulder, it's it's just because I love it so much. I'm showing up every day and I'm thrilled about it and I'm studying it. Not because I hate myself. I'm not doing it because I love it. I'm watching jujitsu because I love it. I'm doing jujitsu because I love it. I'm sitting on the mats when I'm injured because I love it. And I think that's the key to anything you're doing. You have to love it or else like with the shit we do, dude, like from podcasting to fighting to comedy, if you don't love it, it's fucking horrible. It's really hard. But if you love it, you're living your dream life. Yeah. And I think that's a hundred percent the number one ingredient in being successful in anything that you want to do is that you have to decide, I mean, you have to love it, you know, and, and then you, if you love something, then you got to enjoy doing it every single day. You're going to work really hard to become really good at it. Yeah. And it makes me think I have three kids and it makes me think about my kids, you know, whether they're wrestling, they're doing football, they're doing baseball. And you see all these parents that they're, you know, they're screaming and yelling at their kids. They want their kids to love what they want their kids to love, you know, and yes. if it happens to be baseball or wrestling or whatever, jujitsu, they're trying to leave that imprint on their kids and just, and, and if their kids aren't working as hard as they should be, um, and the, the parent knows that they're going to be all over their kid because it's like, what are you doing? Right. Like I see people, I see these other kids that they're doing all this. They're waking up at 6 a.m. They're doing this, they're doing that. Like, it's not because that kid is super tough, you know, it's because that kid loves it so much, you know, and you could get your kids to wake up at 6am and do all really different things. But if they're not truly passionate about it, their brain, isn't going to soak up the information, the way a mind will soak up information if you're truly passionate about it. So like for me, like as a parent, it's, and I have to constantly tell myself this as well, even though like I, I have this insight, it's like, I could still get wrapped up into it. Mm -hmm. uh, that one more than your words, it's your actions. They see you working hard. They see you doing something that you love and doing whatever it takes to become successful in it. They watch it. I think that's the most important thing. And whatever they decide to fall in love with, and if they, that's on them. Like they, if they, they have to become, if they're going to decide they're, I mean, I, I want my kids to be passionate. Something is going to keep, yeah. keep them out of trouble, you know, give them some, you know, go, stay goal oriented. But it's, it's super important just to let, the kids find what they love. And then, then from that point, guide them on how to do the right things with what they yeah, love. Dude, dude, I'm so glad you said that. I mean, 
and, and maybe you haven't thought about it this way, or some of the listeners haven't thought about it this way, but you know, you're doing it because you're a good guy. It's good parenting. But as someone who was such a fuck up as a kid, another aspect of that is if you beat them down so much, trying to get them to do the thing that they don't love they're just going to think they're bad. They're just going to think they're bad at things. And so they may not even have the chance to discover that they have, that they will be good at something they love. I mean, I, so I dropped out of high school and again, was failing everything. Never thought I was an athlete. Never thought, you know, uh, was failing all of my classes. I had a, my English teacher once took me aside and was like, hey, you have a 12 in my class. And I wasn't like going to some special school where it was like a 12 out of 20. Like I had a 12 out of 100. He's <laughs> like, but I, but I know you're one of the smartest kids because I would answer the questions. I would hear them talking about the book that I didn't read. And I would just figure it out with characters, you know? So I'm you're, like, I, you're basically Matt Damon, Google hunting. You're the yeah, guy yeah. I always wanted to be. I sometimes pretend to be a guy like you. Really? Yeah, I would. I mean, I was failing everything and I was like, I didn't read the Joy Luck Club, but I was like, oh, that girl's got to get out of the relationship because of this. And they were like, well, yeah, but also I know you didn't read it. And (laughs) and this guy, dude, he could have gotten fired for this. Like this was a movie moment where he takes me aside one day and he literally goes, school isn't for everyone. And he gives me his copy of Jack Kerouac's On the Road and then was just kind of like, pieced out and at that point i just thought dropouts were for like you know it was just drug dealers and stuff like that but i knew i wanted to play music i knew i wanted to do comedy and so because he told me i was smart and my my music teacher always told me i was smart um when i dropped out of high school there wasn't even a gap year there wasn't even i'm going to europe i'm you know i'm smoking weed at home i started taking the train in immediately every day that I could New Jersey transit into New York doing open mics. I'd never been to New York before. I didn't know how the subway worked. Um, and I started writing every day. I stopped drinking. I stopped smoking weed and I treated it like a job. And at 17, at 17, you were doing this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. That was, that's, that's a mature mind right there. But it, t- it took them telling me because so many people were telling me I was bad at everything. I was the stupid kid in math. I was the stupid kid in, you know, in, in gym. I was the stupid kid, blah, 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 blah. And so you're essentially telling that kid, like, you can't be good at anything because you're not good at something you don't care about. And the problem with school is like, there's a lot of shit we don't care about. There's a lot of shit we don't use. There's a lot of teaching to the test. There's not a lot of places for the weird creative kids. So if the weird creative kids think they're stupid, a lot of them won't even make it to that open mic or won't even make it to that jujitsu school to realize, Oh, I can work really hard. Like I work harder than a lot of people I know. But it's at, you know, uh, weird shit, podcasting, you know, whatever. Um, but if you don't give them the opportunity because you just I when your kid's not doing great with something, maybe just instead of saying, hey, you're not good at this or, hey, work harder. You just need to like you're doing. Just ask him, hey, what would you like to do? What would if you could do anything for an hour a day? What would it be? Is it cooking? Is it running? Is it being out in nature? Like, what is it? And then from there, you start to piece it together. And then once they see they're good at something. Then it's like, this is all over the place. Um, so feel free to cut me off. But like, I have a bunch of friends in the WWE and AEW and pro wrestling was like my first, first love. 
And uh, but I'm way too old for that shit. I'm I'm 39. <laughs> this is when people my dad asked me the other day. He's like, when do people that doesn't stop a lot of dudes who are like front row with the little shirts on there. They yeah. have when they were little kids. A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah the NWO shirts. And yeah. uh, my dad goes, when do people age out of that? And I go uh, at my age when I'm, I'm starting it. But I have a bunch of friends <laughs> uh, in the WWE in AEW who think I can do it. And so I've started training with like uh, Dustin Rhodes, who was one of my heroes growing up. And uh, it's going so well, like so well, way better than I thought. And the reason was because, and it was actually Diamond Dallas Page who started very late. And uh, he was on my podcast. And he Oh, I'm going to have him on my podcast pretty soon here too. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah. he's the one who told me to do it. I actually have to text him and tell him I'm doing it. Um where, you know, he was like, well, I started at your age. I'm like, right. But you were like six, five and like uh, 80s hot or whatever that look yeah. was. Um, but because I was like, wait a second, I know I, ha I, I have the capability to learn. I've done it with guitar. I've done it with jujitsu. I've done it with comedy. So why don't I just go in going instead of going, I'm old, I'm small, I'm this. Just go into it, not saying I'm going to be the best wrestler in the world, but being like, I can be the best student at something I love. Mm hmm. And that's exactly what's happening. But if I was just like, this is dumb. I'm a failure. I'm divorced. Like, it's like, okay, it's not going to work. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that is great parenting advice. You don't, do you have kids? Mm -mm. I think that is super important for parents to hear. Um, yeah. Because I mean, I could, I struggle with that too. Like I know wrestling is so good for my kids to do, whether they become an Olympian or not. I just know that it teaches them hard work. It teaches them how to have discipline. Yeah. You learn how to win. You learn how to lose. You get humbled. You know, I just know it's so good. But on the, on the same token, you can't push your kid into something that you know is going to be great for them. Because eventually they're gonna they're gonna hate you for it. You know, because if, you know, first of all, there's nothing worse for a little kid than to get beat up and thrown around by a kid the same age and the same size as him in front of his dad. Oof. And you you can't make any excuses. You can't blame anybody on your team. You know, it's all on you. And then on top of it, you have a dad who's on top of you and just yelling and screaming and upset that you're not doing the things that he's trying to teach you. To yeah. Do, like projecting wrestling. his bullshit on you vicariously trying to live through that ACL surgery. He had <laughs> like exactly. trying to make you something he's not. And the fact, the fact, other, another important thing that you said, I think that uh, people really should focus on is that you didn't really figure it out until you were 17, 18 that like, wow, I actually enjoy doing this and I could, I could be great at this. Um, and I felt like I could never be great at anything before yeah. this. And, and so people find their passions late too. Yes. It's not like some kids, like my daughter has, she's into dance, but I don't know if she's like super passionate about it, but again, we, we kind of let her do her thing, you know, and yep. uh, try to just support her in whatever she wants to do. And I hope at some point she gets super passionate about something because I do think it's a good way to live your life. For sure. And I'm still figuring it out. You know, there's something nowadays where people get like in trouble for changing their mind, right? Someone's become a little more conservative or someone's become a little more liberal. And on Twitter, they're being called, you know, grifters or, you know, whatever. And to me, it's like evolving, becoming a better person. Grow. Th these are all these are all good things. And it can happen with your career, too. You know, um, right before COVID, like my year was bad before COVID happened, where like a month before lockdown, me and my girlfriend at the time, uh, we we moved from L.A. 
um because we thought la was the reason our relationship was bad uh so we're like it's probably la's fault but <laughs> it was definitely just LA's fault. we were we were both tired of dating sites she was tired of creeps i was tired of like la girls and this was this is like two years ago and so we just picked the town randomly we moved to like the mountains of arizona and it was great we ended up breaking up it was a very it was an amicable breakup we you know i helped her move out and stuff but now i'm in a a city that i don't know anybody girlfriend just left my cat dies the next day which i'm just like the cat fuck that destroyed me and then lockdown happened and i just had this moment of like okay you can either uh, kill yourself the, the narrative can be i'm alone during lockdown all of my siblings are married they have their ride or dies i don't know what i'm doing i'm stuck in this town blah 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 or i asked myself the exact same thing that we're talking about with kids where i'm like what's everything that i've never done that i've always wanted to do that i can do now that i'm single that i can do now that i'm alone and it's when i started the jujitsu podcast it's when which is like a lot of my living it's when i started making the videos on instagram oh, like your only sketches fans. <laughs> my only fans yeah then i, I was very scary yeah. a couple weeks yeah. ago it almost yeah. got taken away from me yeah. uh and then but we're back baby yeah. congratulations and, <laughs> thank you so much yeah. and uh i got I mean, dude i'm making music with some of my favorite musicians that i used to see in concert when i was a kid because i literally without playing it ordered a guitar. I haven't had a guitar in so long. I ordered a guitar over quarantine and I started writing again and then I sent it off to people and then we started making, it's not released yet, but we started going back and forth and making so like all these things that, the pro wrestling thing that I've dreamt of since a kid, the music stuff I've dreamt of. Um, and it's happening, but it's happening because I asked myself that question like when things were horrible. I mean, this is the first time I've been single in my life. Even post-divorce, I just jumped relationship, relationship, relationship. And I was like, okay, what are the things that I want to do now that I'm single? And it's like, I kind of want to wake up early. I kind of want to start meditating. I want to like, you know, all these things that I didn't do because I was codependent in relationships and just whatever you want, babe, because like I didn't want them to leave because I hated myself. Yeah. Um, I'm suddenly doing. And so even for the 40-year-olds listening to this advice, it doesn't, I'm not saying quit your job at the bank to start a podcast, but like if you want a podcast, because again, it brings you joy. If you want to train jujitsu because like you want to start feeling confident about yourself, if you want to play music just to learn a fucking third eye blind cover, like do all those things. Um, and if you're doing it because you love it, then you're great. I mean, my life has gotten so much better ever since I started doing these things, which if I pitched to a friend, sounded very fucking stupid. Yeah, I know. Well, that's that's the funny thing is that our friends are the ones we're probably scared to really tell our true dreams to because totally. it sounds far-fetched and they yeah. like know you on a level that it's embarrassing to talk in such a positive way about yourself. You know, you don't yes. want to sound like an egomaniac, like, oh, this guy thinks he's going to have a podcast. He thinks he's going to be like, you know, the next Joe Rogan or whatever, you know, like yep. this is where people's minds go and it's, it's kind of messed up. And I think one of the reasons why I had the success I had, because I had, I, I was like that when I, when I was a wrestler, I wanted to become a national champion. And I remember in 11th grade, uh, the coaches asking us to write down our goals and it was so bad. I wanted to become a national champion. I really felt like I could, but I was so embarrassed to put on there. I wanted to become a national champion. Yep. So I, I put it, I want to become an all American. You know, like, I don't think people will laugh at that. You know, that's not right. that is like far fetched. You know, they're going to look at me like, oh, there's no way he Whoa. could do that. And 
and for years, even with my wrestling career, I've account- I definitely accomplished a lot with wrestling and I'm grateful for everything that I got from it. But not until I got into MMA was I like, you know what? I've seen these guys who weren't afraid, who I thought I was way better than them. What, 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 they weren't afraid of speaking out what they really felt about what they could accomplish. They weren't afraid of people around them saying that that's crazy. That's crazy talk. You're not accomplishing that. And so I started saying, you know, I'm going to become a world champion. And I didn't care who was laughing anymore. And the next thing I know, it, it did happen. Yeah. And it's funny how that works out. Like, if you do believe in something truly in your heart, don't be afraid to tell your friends, your family, and also the world. Because it puts extra, may put extra pressure on you. But if it's something that you love to do, that's going to be the best opportunity for you. That's, a, that's the best way for you to be able to accomplish that goal. Well, and now I, I want to go into podcast host mode where to rewind that i remember right before you fought anderson for the first time seeing you talk like that and kind of being like you know i mean anderson was just unstoppable and a lot of people saw that and were like what's this guy fucking saying right but i bet you money like could you say if you didn't truly believe that if you did the thing where you're like you know it just don't get finished in the first <laughs> you know yeah, what i yeah, mean yeah. like the fact that you were like against all odds i'm gonna beat anderson silva i'm gonna take the belt yeah. um if you didn't have that mentality like do you think you would have fucking won no and um i said i was gonna finish him and i was gonna shock the world we're gonna have an immediate rematch these this is all stuff i really believe was gonna happen now do you have self-doubt you know, you know, you sit back and you start thinking, all right, logically, <laughs> what really like what happens in the fight? You know, anything can happen in a fight, you know, like not always does the best fighter win. Like you start going down that rabbit hole, but it's also the power of the subconscious mind. And when you have I'm reading this book right now, so I'm going to sound like, you know, like no, I really right. know what I'm talking about. But, you know, yeah, ask yeah. me in two weeks. I'll be like, eh. but um, <laughs> when you speak like that consciously. Yeah your subconscious mind takes that in. And I really do believe in this. That's where you really start getting improvements, you know, Man, is when you, yes. you speak it out loud, you, you start saying things, even if you may not believe it at first, you keep talking about it. You keep saying, you know, I'm super smart or I'm, you know, I'm really athletic and I don't know, I'm going like extremes, but whatever you want to accomplish, just say it out loud and then start saying to other people, start saying to the world. And then it's amazing how it will come true. Yes. And so, it's funny, me and you both almost got into that, you know, d- don't sound too hippie in, in front of the guy. You know, it's still there. It, whenever I talk about what you just talked about, I preface it with like, this is going to sound stupid, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But I, but, so I, but I have a good way uh, to talk about it for people listening who are like, what is this? The secret bullshit or whatever. Yeah, the law of you, attraction, the little yes, red book. Yes. So if you don't want to think of it as spiritual, if you don't want to think of it as energy, if you don't want to think about it. It's basic sports psychology, which is, you know, there was a study done where there are three groups of basketball players, uh, one group practiced free throws, one group visualized sinking, swish, 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 free throws. The other group didn't do anything. And the group that visualized uh, won, then the group that practiced, then the group, whatever. Mm. Um, If you tell yourself, I'm not going to hit it, there is a great chance you're more in your head you're you know when i te- uh when i when i'm teaching people i'm kind of like known for my uh my guillotine which is every time that i've guillotined whether it's a black belt whether it's a ufc person whether it's whatever a lot of times where i've guillotined people above my pay grade is because the coach will go watch out for his guillotine 
So then what happens is they shoot a little hesitantly instead of being like, I'm going to mow this kid down. And then when you shoot a little hesitantly, you didn't, your penetration step was a little shallow. You have to bend down a little bit to make up that ground. And I have your neck, right? As opposed to you go into it being like, I'm going to blast through him. I don't care about his guillotine. I'm going to mm. hop his legs. That is, um, that's awesome. I got, I got something on that, but keep yeah. continue. Well, and then the, 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 the non-sports story I have is before I was ever spiritual before. I mean, I was probably like an angry atheist at this point. Um, I was doing a show in San Francisco and I heard Robin Williams was in town and there's no reason that I should have known that Robin Williams would like me. I was really political at the time. I was kind of doing this weird musical style. Like it was just weird. And I just had this feeling, which now I see as like, whether it was the universe, whether it was a lot, whatever it is. But I just had this feeling where I'm like, Robin Williams is going to come to my show. I'd never heard of the law of attraction, anything like that. And so I remember walking out of the pier and I was just like, he's going to come. So now I just got to figure out how. And that's the key with the law of attraction. If you don't believe in spirituality, where did me believing that summon Robin Williams energy? I don't know. But what it did do was if I said there's no way Robin Williams would come to see me, we're done. It's over. But because I believed it, when I wanted to quit, in my brain. And I was like, I don't know anyone who knows Robin. I kept going. And suddenly I was like, wait, the guy who booked me for my first TV show is friends with this guy named Rick Overton. Rick Overton is like best friends with Robin. I'm going to call Paul and just tell him to text Rick. He texted Rick. Rick was with Robin. Um, they were like, all right, we'll try. I remember going to the club owner, like, and I was new. I was a new headliner. I was like, could you put, I didn't even say his last name. I didn't even have the balls to say his last name. I was like, could you put Robin on the guest list? And she was like, sure. Um, <laughs> and then sure enough, like he shows up, comes backstage, gives me a big hug. I hear his laugh. I don't remember anything about the show except his laugh. And he becomes one of my closest friends. And like that wow. day was like, what can I do for you? And I was like, anything. And the next day I had his managers. I had his agents. I had, you know, everything. And that was the first moment that I realized like I, and it's still hard for me, by the way, because of that self doubt when I go, okay, I'm going to be in a big band or I'm going to be a professional wrestler. All of those voices of like, fuck you. Here's why you can't do it. Yeah. But I think about that Robin time where I'm like, I would have stopped. That wouldn't have happened. And that's one of the, the, the best things that's ever happened to me in my life was having him as a friend. And that wouldn't have happened if I didn't just straight up believe something that on paper was very fucking stupid. Yeah, the power of the mind is freaking no joke. And yeah. I don't think it's energy or anything like that. I think it's more your mind is so strong to where if you were thinking negative and, and, and really believing into that self-doubt, you wouldn't have had the confidence to right. think the way you were thinking, to think it was even possible to reach out to you know his manager, his buddy or whatever, and then uh, for the connection to happen. And then the confidence for him to come to the show and then actually like you, like you you believed in it, you know, yep. it, you, you had self-doubt just like anything like, oh, this is crazy. It's freaking Robin. Right, you know? right, but, right, right. Um, but it's amazing what even just a little bit of that could get you, you totally. know, the right thinking. Going back to like the, the guillotine thing. Yes. It's so crazy because when I prepare for fights and even guys in the room, if I over, if I'm, if I start watching these guys and they're good, like a lot of the guys I fight, they're all, you know, world-class guys. 
I start seeing them in fights like they they're in this, you know, under over position and they hit this, you know, this this great, you know, throw from this position at one point in one of their fights. And now I'm like, all right, if I get in this position, I just got to stay away from that, you know, and then I'm worried about that as opposed to, all right, you know what? I got an idea of what this guy does by watching a little bit of his tape, but I'm not dissecting it like insane and giving him insane respect in the situations that he won in prior fights. Instead, realizing that I'm a completely different animal than the guy he's was in those fights with and and believing in my abilities in every situation, not not having not over respecting everything that I've seen him be good at is what I'm saying. So that's why actually I don't watch tons of tape on my guys, not because I don't think it's good to, you know, dissect them and see what their, you know, where their weaknesses are and what they're good at. But I just know, I don't want to getting into my head like, Oh, this guy, you know, had a really good right hand off this situation. And now I'm like freaked. I'm worried about it. Instead of just like F him, I'm going to be the best version of myself and he's screwed. Yeah, and I'm so glad you said that because, and and that's you who has so much success and so much experience. I mean, I remember, and I'm sure every white belt or blue belt who's doing their first jujitsu tournament, you look up who's in your bracket, and you you just you you just see him do an armbar, and you go, well, I guess I'm getting armbarred. Like you because you you don't even have your good experience to weigh it. You just go, oh, that's what that guy does. Is he, he beats me up, he be, you know, I mean, I remember the first time I snapped out of that. I was at Marcelo's once a couple guys from American top team came and this dude, I don't, th- he wasn't like a UFC guy or whatever, but it was just a Jack dude with gnarly cauliflower ear. And in my head, I was just like, well, all right, I guess this guy's going to beat me up because what I told myself, I go, he's a real fighter. And then I just, again, just like the Robin thing, I had this moment where I'm like, what if I just go in being like, I'm going to beat that guy's ass. And then I went in and I beat that guy's ass and he had pounds on me. He looked like what I thought a real fighter was instead of just being like, bro, you're a real fighter. You've been doing this for a very long time. Like you're not like a professional, but like you're a fighter. I I think what it allows you to do is become the best version of yourself. Perfect. Yes. And that's a perfect. That's all you could ask for. Now, if you, if you lose to this guy and you had that confidence going in, all right, he's better than you. And you learn from it and you're like, yeah, to get back out there and kick his ass the next time. But I think if you discount yourself, that's where you have regret. And that's almost like every match I feel like I've ever lost, whatever the wrestling, fighting, I could in my own head think about all the self-doubt I had and like reasons on why I didn't feel like I deserved to win. Yeah. And instead of, and then the ones that I've won throughout my whole career, how confident I was and how I didn't let that doubt dominate the the, the mind. You know, I, I always won. I won those self-doubt you know, battles in your mind. I was like, Nope, I'm not losing. I don't care. I don't, like, yeah. I, I mean, I don't care if it was five months before the fight. It was, a, it's, it's, it's exhausting being really good at something because yeah. you have to constantly win that battle. If you lose because you're, you lose that battle one day and it's five months before something, or if it's a day before jujitsu or whatever it is, it's all crumbling it's, down. Yeah. It's, yeah. It just, it, it falls apart. Well, what you were saying before to you about having the right support network, I think is really important because, you know, what's funny is, so I started a jujitsu podcast over quarantine and sarcastically in the beginning of the podcast, I would say, welcome to rear naked radio, like the best motherfucking jujitsu podcast on the planet or something like that. And it felt like good. And then it became over quarantine, like the biggest jujitsu podcast. Wow. And I was like, Oh, like, why don't I apply that? to the rest of my life, right? And you can do it without 
crapping on other people. You don't have to be in a Conor McGregor way. Like you don't have to turn it on other people. But you can I was st- thinking the same guy when you said that. Keep going. Yeah, of course. Everyone <laughs> yeah. was. Everyone listening yeah, was. But yeah. you can still, but you can say I'm the best. And when I hear those stories about Connor, like, look, what's happening now? It is what it is. But like back in the day, you watch those videos about him where him and his girl were passing, you know, they were in their like rundown car and they would drive by the mall and see people getting valet. And he knew that he was like, that's gonna be us. And and hating on him for that. I think is people projecting and being jealous, hating on him for, you know, antics, whatever. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, but that kind of confidence, man, it's like, like I said, the only reason I had the balls to do it is because I was almost saying it ironically in the beginning. And then it happened. And, you know, the hardest part of it is what you said is I will feel that way. You know, like this music project, I said, I'm going to work with some of my favorite musicians. It's happening. I said, not only am I going to start pro wrestling, but I'm going to do it with like the best people in the world. It is happening. All these things are happening. But then one little failure, one person brings up your past. You lose one gig. Um, one person, you know, you tell your friend, like you were saying, there's a great, um, I want to make a kid's book about this. There's a saying where they talk about crabs in a bucket. And if and crabs, when you go to climb out of a bucket, uh, instead of helping a little homie out, and like busting them up, uh, the crabs start to climb on top and drag them back. And, you know, a lot of our friends who will shoot us down, a lot of them are doing it because they care about us. They don't want us to get hurt. We've been down this road before, you know, however many times I've told my, my guy friends, like, no, this is the girl. Like I found her this time. They're like, cool, man. You said that like two weeks ago. Um, a lot of, but a lot of them are like, they don't want you to do it. They don't think they're doing it this way. They, they don't think they're hurting their friend. They think they're helping their friend. But, you know, they ended up at a job they don't like or they're in a relationship they're not crazy about. So they kind of go, well, why should you do it? And yeah. not in a vindictive, mean way, but just in a like they think they're protecting you. Hey, just come drink at the bar instead of going to practice again. Like, why don't you come out with us? Like, why are you doing this podcast thing? Like, come hang out with your boys and whatever. And it's like. Cause I want to like live my dream, dude. And that sounds really stupid, but you got to find, you know, that's one of the biggest things I've done in the last two years is I just want to surround myself with people who hopefully I can help, but people who inspire me, who are, are, are climbing higher than me, who are surpassing me so I can learn from them. So I can be inspired by them. Like that's what you should be shooting for. Not to be like, you know, the cool one at the townie bar. Yeah. I, I would keep going with the psychology of winning and being successful because it's, I think it's super valuable for people to hear, but um, we, we don't have all the time in the world today. Yeah. So I want to get into the nitty gritty. So let's go. Obviously you were famous comic. You're on top of the world. You were very uh, progressive and a big part of the Twitter mob, cancel culture mob. And you can stop me if I'm overstepping my boundaries or no, 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 you're great. You're great. You're great. and then your life got flips up, upside down. Sure. Did. And then all of a sudden the cancel culture was after you. Yep. I'll stop with that and let you take me from there. Like what? Just tell me what happened. Yeah. So, man, I, I've actually I've been thinking about this a lot recently um, where I, you know, OK, so it kind of starts with Rogan where I went on Rogan's once way back in the day when it was still at his house and he found me on Twitter and it was great. It was the coolest thing that could have happened. We agreed on everything, got a bunch of new followers. Life was good. 
Then the year, what were you? What year was this? Man, I do not know. I seen you. Uh, you were there on 2017. Was that the the time? So there was a time before that okay. from his house. That was like the good one. That was before the podcast was like what it was. Then the next time I go on and me and my ex-wife had a really progressive podcast. And, you know, it didn't start as cancel culture. It started as two people who were fairly liberal, who when we were in political spaces, we were actually too offensive for them uh, because of comedy. You know, like the things we said would get us canceled now even though we were on the progressive side Mm -hmm. and then in comedy i was too political um this was during george bush and so i was you know i mean nothing crazy i didn't know a ton about politics but i was you know pro-gay marriage so i'm like okay i guess i'm a liberal political comic now and then all the newspapers started calling me like you know oh he's the new george carlin whatever so i leaned into that Mm -hmm. and but so we started this podcast and the podcast started getting more kind of cancel culture, cancel culture. So I go back on Rogan's, the show's bigger now. And at the time, Daniel Tosh uh, was getting in trouble for, he made a rape joke. And I was like, oh, rape jokes aren't funny. That's just, you know, I was like, okay. And like, I thought it was a simple thing. I didn't think it was controversial. Um, and, uh, Rogan had me on the show again, and I didn't know we were going to argue about it. And I said this on Burt Kreischer's podcast recently, where uh, I got, I don't smoke a lot of pot anymore since I was a kid, but I got high before the show because I'm like, that's what you do. You're on Joe Rogan's. You got to yeah. get high. Having no idea we were about to have a screaming match about rape and feminism. <laughs> and so I'm baked out of my mind for the first time in like years. And I told Bert, I'm like, that should be an anti-drug commercial. Forget smoking pot and like running over someone. The anti-drug commercial should be me smoking weed before Joe Rogan. And then it says 10 minutes later and Joe Rogan <laughs> is standing up in a tiny t-shirt screaming at me he rather <laughs> raped or murdered. And then it just says, don't do drugs. Like, it, was, it was the craziest thing ever. And to me, and what I probably poorly got across on the show is I'm like, you should be able to talk about whatever you want anything you should be able to joke about whatever you want the reason i am a comedian is not because i was the class clown it's because the class clown beat the shit out of me i had alcoholism in my family we were poor it was how i dealt with trauma period that's why i'm funny so that's why i also think that you should be able to talk about anything wanda sykes has an amazing rape joke about wanting like a detachable pussy so she can leave it at home when she goes jogging right which is like super subversive Um, But but at this point when you're on rogan do you feel strongly against rape jokes at that point? I mean, I was half and half. I remember I talked about the Wanda thing, but I was like, well, I'm not but you went make- pub. You went public with being against the rape joke. Yeah, that what yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so now you felt this- boxed in with that. Totally with boxed that answer. In. Yeah. And so I, I just kind of like doubled down on it was probably it sounded like an idiot. Then I get home. I didn't think Rogan and I were going to like argue would never argued i get home thousands of tweets just like before you pussy you whatever all this stuff someone hacked my twitter and just wrote rape all over it and i was like i swear to god yeah and i was just like okay so now i go from being a liberal guy to going well comics hate me everyone i look up to hates me rogan hates me my friend doug stanhope used to take me out like all these comics i idolized are tweeting about like oh this you know the got handed to whatever mm. and uh but i have this podcast and so we just double down 
And I never considered myself cancel culture before, but I was like, well, if I don't have comedy and the only people who like me like me because of this, cool, let's go. And now, were you, were you, sorry to cut you off again, but um, were you consciously thinking of this? Did you, no, in your that's, head- a, that's what I was going to say is okay. the, the one thing, you know, uh, after the divorce and the, the stuff we'll talk about, like I went back on Rogan's and it was great. And like, he still, he mentioned me the other day, like anytime he mentions me, like he has my back and I, I, I appreciate it. But the one thing I do disagree with him is sometimes he'll be like, yeah, Jamie was kind of like playing up the feminism thing for like, buddy, I wish I was that smart. Mm-hmm. Like, if I was playing it up for fucking for girls or for that, it wouldn't have all erupted. It was, I really believed that what I did was right. And not only that, but being a straight white guy in that community, a lot of times when you do go to speak out and go, Hey, is this a little too much? You kind of get shut down. And so because I was a high school dropout, because I always thought I was dumb again, the relationships I were in were really toxic. And I had people in my life who would make me feel really stupid. I would just go, okay, I don't really know if we should be going after this guy, but like, I'm probably wrong was kind of where I would go in my head. And then on top of that, of course, you're getting validation and people are going, you know, you go queen or whatever the fuck they would say. And uh, (laughs) and I'm like, okay, I guess like we're doing this. And so during all of this, um, you know, the marriage, I can't really talk about that, but the marriage started to go south and I end up having the most cliche horrible affair that you could imagine and it goes it goes on for two years um i hate myself for it i think that you know i just wrote read this book on infidelity which actually was made me feel a lot better because there were you know 40 year old married women with children saying the same dumb shit i said where i was like i thought i was saving the marriage and saving the podcast because like the and it was just it was as dumb as you could get period and you know i've had friends be like dude it makes sense people cheat and i was like i know but also i one i want to be better than that and two what i could even when cheating is is justified um i could have had the balls to get out of the relationship Mm, so at the very least i was a coward and at the most i was like uh, garbage yeah um and so then so the affair finally ends i no hang on i don't want because i I did google you and i'm sure people are going to do it as well but one of the main things one of the things that popped out to me is that you guys were in an open relationship though so that so you're was, calling it an affair, but well, okay, yeah. Go ahead. So that that was not. There were a lot of things written about me that were either untrue or like omitted. Yeah. Um, the affair was an affair. Um, so she didn't know it was happening, and you're correct. An affair. Okay. After the affair, trying to save the marriage, uh, an open relationship was pitched to me. Gotcha. But in a very unhealthy way. It was like it was just going to be don't ask, don't tell. It was essentially like go fuck people on the road. Um, which for open relationships that I have friends who have made it work, it's like the opposite of that. It's like very communicative. Like there are boundaries, there are lines, there's all this stuff. And so for me, I felt like I was still cheating because I'm still put that she hang on. I got to get into this. So she, she actually brought this up to you, the open marriage thing. All right, listen, I want to keep this open, this marriage going. So I can't really talk about, I can't really talk about the divorce. So I can say like, we did, <laughs> but like 
Okay. You know, uh, so the, and also like I've joked about this before. It's also like not the easiest to get laid when someone's like, Hey, are you in a relationship? And you go, I'm in a secret open relationship. Like that <laughs> kind of sounds like bullshit. Yeah. And so, um, so finally I was like, Hey dude, to like my ex, I was like, we got to talk about this publicly. We got to say on the show, we're in an open relationship. I feel like a creep. So we do, we say we're in an open relationship. And then the next day, the girl I had the, or in that week, very soon after the girl who I had the affair with made a post on uh, some like feminist podcast, Facebook, and was like, who has been wronged by feminist Jamie Kilstein. And out of the, the, the many women I have slept with, one girl said he flirted with me uh, on Twitter. I told him I had a boyfriend. He said, I'm sorry, which is what you should do. I've never sent a dick pic. I've never, yeah. you know, I was like, oh shit, sorry. Um, and then another girl said that, um, we hooked up, uh, on the road and literally said in, in the article that ruined my life said something like it was the safest I ever felt, or it was the nicest, something implying that like I treated her very well. We actually didn't even sleep together. Um, and then she goes, but then he called me a road fuck on his podcast. And then the Jezebel article in parentheses says Jezebel could not find that quote but still printed it. And it's like, right, you couldn't find that quote because I'm not talking about banging road pussy on a feminist podcast I host with my wife because that's an insane so, thing. So wait, Jezebel was the company that hired you to do this podcast? And yet, no, 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 oh, no, 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 no. The, the podcast okay. was independent. The podcast was just me oh, and my ex. Okay. Jeze Jezebel is this feminist cancel culture website and they wrote about, uh, they wrote about this Facebook post that, um, that the girl made. Okay. And, and so- the problem is, and where the problem happens right now, and where up until we started recording, this is 10 years after the affair, I assume that anything good that happens to me, any girl I, I start dating, any uh, new friend I make, any opportunity I have to make money to whatever, I just kind of am waiting where I'm like, all right, here we go. Let's, let's, let's wait till this gets taken away. Like, I just got... You probably know these guys, but I'm getting on the phone with uh, the big jujitsu instructional company. And I literally set up a phone call because I got an offer and I'm really excited to do it. But I was like, hey, man, can I call you today? Just because I, I want them to know beforehand. Every dude, every ex I've had since then, I've had to have a conversation with their parents about this. You know, I my girlfriends have told me to stop doing this, but like I on first dates, before I hook up, I'm like, I should tell them because if I hook up with them and then they find out they're going to, you know, whatever. The problem was because of, and again, I was part of this community. The headline isn't uh, feminist has an affair. The headline is words like sexual misconduct and predatory behaviors. Where if I hear that my friend has those words said about him, we're fighting. Like that to me sounds like you're grabbing women, you're sleeping with girls who are blackout drunk. Like that to me sounds horrific. Not yeah. like a stalker in a weirdo. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Not you had an affair eight years ago and then some consensual one night stands and like some of the one night stands were like shitty or you didn't call them afterward. Like stuff like that. Like that's just kind of like normal behavior and or douchebag behavior. Um, to me, the thing I got in the most trouble for was if I was a comedian and I just stayed a comedian and all this stuff happened, everything I got quote unquote accused of and lost everything because of, and again, look, I haven't 
cheated since I haven't like it did make me a better person, but I'm really trying to work on like this, like shame stuff I still have, which is if I was a comedian, it's like it's stuff comics talk about on stage. Comics talk about cheating. Comics talk about one night stands. Comic make comics make fun of girls who they had one night stands with. Um, but because I was sort of this holier than thou guy and the people, the, the, the anti-feminist people already hated me from that Rogan, the progressive people, a lot of them just disowned me. So I didn't really have anyone who liked me. Like I, I pissed off everybody. And so like Louis CK, for example, what he was accused of was way more than me, but he can still sell out theaters because he had such a hard fan base. Um, and, you know, there was this, I, it came up in the jujitsu world for the first time um, a while ago. And some dude made up like straight up, like added, like made up stuff was like, he was fired from his gym. And like the post got taken down because uh, it wasn't true. Shout out Sean Williams. <laughs> um, and, uh, but linked those old articles. So if anyone wants to say something shitty about me, all you got to do is post that old article and you see words like sexual misconduct and you go, oh yeah, of course he was, right? Um, I mean, thank God I've dated like awesome women since then, but if I have a shitty breakup, a girl could just go, well, look at that article. He was, whatever they want, um, which is another reason I've been afraid to date, right? And uh, so I, so what happens in jujitsu and I go, man, if it can, like, what the fuck? Like, I've tried so hard I'm not even being political anymore. I'm this voice in the jujitsu community that talks about mental health. Cause like a lot of guys in the community don't talk about it. I was like, I finally thought I was, and I was starting to get victim me again, where I'm like, I finally started to do good. And I called my friend who's in this band I used to go see when I was a kid. And one, I called him to tell him all about it just in case he didn't know, but he heard the Rogan. Um, but I was feeling like suicidal again, because when this first happened, you know, I lost everything in a day. And was planning out how I was going to kill myself. And I had a girlfriend because me and my wife were separated at this time. So when the article came out, I had a girlfriend. I was already in L.A. And she was very supportive. She's why I'm alive. Um, But I started to feel this way like a month ago again. Where I'm like, it's fucking happening again, man. I'm never going to be able to make a living ever. Like, how am I going to do this if, if this keeps coming? And my friend Chris from this band literally said the simplest thing. This is the crazy, one of the craziest things that's ever happened to me. I don't think I've cried hard since Robin died. And this guy, Chris, who I never met just goes, Hey man, you know, I would be devastated if you killed yourself. Right. And dude, I, you know, that kind of crime where like, there's no buildup. I just hit the ground and started sobbing. And I was like, what happened? And I realized that in my past life, when I was only friends with these kind of like, you know, ladder climber, cancel culture people, like I lost everyone in a day. It wasn't just, oh, I lost my money or my reputation. It was like all of my fans. It was all of my friends. It was, I had nobody but my girlfriend. And so the idea that someone would not just disown me again was enough to like completely bring me to tears. And you know, the, look, a lot of bad people are getting called out from cancel culture. But the problem with it, I heard Roy Wood Jr. say this on Tom Segura's podcast the other day. And I, I, I've, I, I've said a much clumsier version of it. But like you can't believe in like criminal justice reform 
and also believe in cancel culture because like a lot of people on the left we want prison reform right we want prison to be a rehabilitation and not just a place to torture people where then they're released from prison and go back to a life of crime mm-hmm. but cancel culture with the internet it's it's literally saying like oh you cheated or you posted a clumsy tweet or you said this thing which you know whatever uh you're never gonna work again like we want you i remember saying when i was breaking down i was like oh they literally they won't stop till i kill myself like period like that's and that is and you can tell yourself all you want i've had so many of my like famous buddies be like dude these guys are so miserable they're on twitter they're and i'm like i i realize that i know that but i would love to you know actually be able to move forward with my life without feeling like oh i'm always going to be this piece of shit i'm never going to be able to work again you know blah 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 so yeah that is a that's just of it wow um i <laughs> Well, wait, what do you, what do you feel like the best mindset moving forward is like, what's, what do you feel like the best way to handle these people that are constantly going to be coming at you and any type of success they see that you have, they're going to be trying to rip away from you. And by the way, maybe I'll regret saying this publicly, but it is true for the record. The people coming after me aren't like concerned women. I remember after this post was made, I went to my gym, my jujitsu gym. And all the girls ran up to me and like hugged me and were like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, hey, can you not hug me unless there's a witness? Um, But like they were, you know, because the the women in my life know me and they know that I'm the opposite of whatever caricature uh, is going to be made. Yeah. Um, The best advice I've ever heard ever. And this is what snapped me out. I mean, my friend Chris snapped me out of it. But my sister and I don't even know where she got this line before, but it's cool is the best way to hide is to get as big as possible. And I was like, whoa, what the fuck is that? And essentially what I realized is, so, I mean, the best advice, and I'm sure you've talked about this ad nauseum, is like every loss, there's a lesson, right? And when this first happened, you know, like I remember I remember when I did Bert's podcast, he was like, dude, I'm kind of jealous. He was like, you get to restart your life. Like, and I was like, don't be jealous, buddy. <laughs> um, it's horrible. But there, 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 was, <laughs> the, the, there was something true to that where it's like, okay, what are the lessons that I can learn? I'm like, yeah, I haven't cheated. I haven't whatever. When it came back this time, I'm like, there's no more lessons. It's not like I'm a fucking sex predator. And I'm like, oh, I should stop being a sex predator, right? Like all I've tried to do is like be in relationships. Like I, I don't make the first fucking move um, in a relationship. That I'm like, what am I supposed to learn from this? Like, it's just, it's the same bullshit as these horrible people. Like, it's, yeah, it's these creepy guys who are the ones on Twitter. It's not fucking women. It's these creepy guys who hated me from before. Um, what I learned this time is I stopped talking about politics like this. I stopped shooting big. And part of the reason was I was afraid of blowback. And so when I suddenly was just having this pretty comfortable living, not great, not what it was when I was married, but like I'm getting by with jujitsu. I'm like, oh, I found this cool little niche. I'm the funny guy in the jujitsu world. I'll make these jujitsu comedy videos. They blow up all the big women in jujitsu like I'm friends with. They they, they know me. Um, And I have this little jujitsu podcast. Am I as passionate about it as I am music? No, but I love it and it helps people. Um, And then it 
came after me in jujitsu. And so my lesson was, oh, even if I play small, people are still going to try to attack you. If you become big and if you become big at Rite Aid, fucking the, the cashier next to you is going to try to shit on you because you got the manager job, right? So why not go after all of the things that I want? Why not be able to talk about this instead of feeling like I'm on trial more like, hey, here's where I fucked up, but here's where I didn't fuck up. And dude, I've never really done that. Um, and so the last month, I doubled down on both my podcasts, getting like bigger guests than ever. Like um, I started a pro wrestling podcast because that's what I wanted to do. I started wrestling. The band thing is going to be like I just did a track with Under Oath and like that's going to come out. And now I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to get as big as fucking possible. And eventually, you know, and people will still come after me. Cool. But people come after everybody. I mean, dude, you could look at a YouTube video with like a seven-year-old violinist, like nailing this perfect Bach piece. And some, the first comment will be like, lame. You know what I mean? Like people are going to come after you no matter what. And all you can do is kind of like, man, I hope they find happiness. But I'm done playing small because out of fear you know i always thought i was brave and then i realized like nope i've been playing small 100 percent out of fear i i'm thinking about that analogy you did with the crabs the crabs in the bucket because i think this is exactly it's a good good place for it to be brought up again is that like you are that crab everyone is that crab and you're trying to get out of that bucket people don't realize is the hand that picks up that crab is you you could take that crab and no matter what the other crabs are always going to be trying to grab you down yeah. no matter what and right now, in your situation, and a lot of people's situations, they feel like they have more crabs trying to pull them down than everybody else. And yep. there's one or two ways you go with it. You just could either feel bad for yourself and say, um, is nothing's ever going to be the way I wanted to and kind of just give up done, or yeah. say, F it, F you to the other crabs, <laughs> yep. and I'm getting the hell out of this bucket. Yeah. And I don't the, care and who's grabbing onto me. And then, by the way, by the way, I never thought we were talking about my uh, sexual uh, problems and then crab analogies. But <laughs> the uh, then what you get to do is what I'm trying to do on the podcast. What you're trying to do on the podcast is you make it out of the bucket. And then instead of being like, peace, you actually try to help other people and try to lift yeah, other people that's, up. That's and, the and, key. Yep. And that's all you can do, man, where it's you know who you are as a person. And it's hard. The Internet is horrible. Um, but as long as it's like, I'm going to keep being a good person, I'm going to keep trying to get better. And I'm going to keep trying to put this, you know, whatever art into the world. Um, in theory, you should be invincible. And then a pile on happens and you got to just, you got to step back. Um, but that's all you can do. All you can do is legitimately not care what people think. And it is so hard, but if you do it, you're unstoppable. I agree. And just going back to the whole Conor McGregor um, thing that you brought up, and I think that's why he's so polarizing and so many people pay attention to him is that he is pretty good at not giving a shit what anybody thinks. He speaks very confidently, which people yeah. you're going to either hate on or you, probably because you're intrigued and excited that he's doing something that you wish you could because inside you, that voice is there, yeah. but you're not brave enough to speak it out the way yes. He is doing it. Well, you and know, what's interesting. Yeah. Well, now that you brought up Connor again, it, it's, you know, he's speaking that way 
So for everybody listening and and me too, he's speaking that way. A lot of times it has to do with fights. It has to do with money. It has to do with, you know, whatever. But when you were talking about people not liking him because of that confidence, if I had the confidence to get out of my marriage, this wouldn't have happened. You know, I think about that. I'm like, I wonder if it would be friends. If I had the confidence to defend myself when that stuff first happened, you know, like I haven't shown true backbone till a couple years ago, you know, I mean, there was even a phase after I went on Rogan's um, and he like had my back. There was a phase where all these right wing places were kind of courting me and I was broke, like broker than I am now broke. And, you know, there's always a space to be the former liberal who's now this. And look, I'm way more center on a lot of issues. I got friends. I got Republican friends. I got liberal friends. Um, no, you you got to pick a side. <laughs> you, you have to believe every issue either on the left uh, or the right or you're out of here. No, Weidman's canceling me again. Yeah, you're canceled. Uh, and like and the but like. I'm still the basic issues. I'm like, yeah, I'm still like mainly liberal, but I had a phase where I could have written that book and that book would have gotten me a lot of money. That was like why I left the left or some bullshit like that. And like was getting offers. And I didn't, I remember being in a flea riddled apartment in LA with my cat and just being like, I got to do this. And then I just had this moment where I'm like, but I'm not that. And that would be, even though, you know, like I said, I, I I have some conservative, I have some, you know, whatever centered beliefs now. I'm like, I can't become the right wing version of what I was before on the left, which is what I would have been. Mm-hmm. And I haven't recovered, man. I mean, there was a moment a month ago where I was like, maybe I should have done that. Maybe I should have gone down that road. But like, that's something I can be proud of. It's, you know, for everyone else, like struggling with like depression or whatever, you also have to remember these little victories. That's how you get through the day, man. It's like, hey, you got out of bed. Great. What's next? You don't want to run? Mm, you should probably go for a run. Great. Mm. What's next? And you you have to give yourself credit for those those victories. So like, that's something I'm really proud of is I'm still trying to make it on my own terms, being authentic to who I am, which is hard because it is very easy to sell out and get a paycheck or whatever. Um, but it would have crumbled maybe not the same way, but it would have crumbled. I would have had some affair with a Republican. Like, yeah. I don't know what would have happened, but it wouldn't have been good. I think it goes back to your G Kondo days and you're sparring with that guy and reality hits you that it's either I tuck and run and hold on to my beliefs and G Kondo is the, the old end and be all, yep. or I'm going to be open-minded and I'm yeah. going to put the work in and see other sides. And I think that transfers right over to politics. Like you get, you feel like, and it's the same thing with jujitsu too, where the key for success and one of the major key for success is to be open-minded. And when you talk about how you feel like you could have went the alt-right and far-right way, and those people would have clicked onto you, you would have had some love and people would have had your back, but it would have been the same. It would have been the equivalent of to where you were when you were doing things that now you look back on as being a far left progressive was wrong. Yeah. And so I think the answer is always somewhere in the middle. You, I don't think I think extremism on both sides is is Same. not good because you're not able to see the other side of the arguments. In yeah. fact, both the far left and the far right both want each other canceled. Yep. You know, oh. like the far yes. left is cancel culture. I agree. And I, I think the media and all the powers that be in this world are mostly controlled by the far by the left. And so I think they have a little bit more ingredients 
to be able to take people down. But the far right, if they were to have their way, these people don't make sense. They're stupid. They're, they're these sensitive little biatches and they, I don't want to hear them anymore. There, there was one, there was one week over quarantine where uh, the left was trying to cancel Roseanne Barr, and all the people were going after, you know, oh, this is cancel culture, cancel culture. And then all the people who were criticizing the left two weeks later tried to cancel James Gunn, the Guardians of the Galaxy Suicide Squad director for the same thing. And it's like, guys, can we all admit that we're hypocrites and we're no, all doing this? Whenever, because they're not thinking clearly. They cannot. They're so infatuated with their belief system yep. that they can't see the other side or even see take a step away and look at themselves and see yep. where they're really at. Yeah. See, we maybe. all get triggered. Yeah. We all, you know, conservatives who jump into my comments, like you were just as triggered as you say, like lefties are triggered. And, yep. you know, and what's cool is I actually did go on a bunch of conservative shows. Like I went on Glenn Beck show and he mm. talked about being an extremist on the right. And I talked about being an extremist on the left and I wasn't suddenly selling out my beliefs. Like I still said my liberal beliefs. He said his, and we had a conversation. And I think that those conversations are really important. And, you know, when I do talk about politics on my podcast, I do try to talk about it like that. Like I just did a, a, an episode about the vaccine and I didn't want to get the vaccine because I don't follow all of my liberal people who are talking about science and vaccine stuff. My Instagram, I pretty much just follow jujitsu guys who get their science from memes. And so well, I was just, no, they get their these- science. I'm going to say they get their science from Joe Rogan. Who right. gets his sure. science from free thinkers who yes. may be liberal, may be conservative, hundred percent, are I'm definitely more open minded to the cutting edge of science and not from the main narrative that is being deployed at us from every angle. Right. So when I I was so anti-vax, scared to get the vax, scared to get it, and then my family was actually really sweet to, and I would see liberals on Twitter like calling you if you don't get the vaccine stupid and i'm like i hated that because i'm like hey man all of my friends are healthy they're athletes we're exercising we're eating well and like they're fine and then i finally read an article that was like hey here's why it will help other people if you get it and man i was so scared but i went in and got it and then i didn't suddenly become this pro like i wasn't an anti-vaccine uh, advocate. And then I didn't become a pro vaccine advocate. And the way Good. I talked about it on my podcast is, Hey man, it makes total sense to be scared and to question it. And like, that's okay. Instead of just either you're st- a stupid conspiracy theorist or you're this, it's like, especially people on the left, the fact that the left we've been trashing the government and big pharma for decades and now suddenly we're supposed to just like unquestionably applaud Pfizer. I'm like, dude, I've been shitting on Pfizer for 10 years. Um, that it makes sense. And I think when you can attack political issues with empathy, just like, hey man, I know why you're scared, or I know why you're you know, another controversial issue is like like war. So many of my friends, I, I, I've got to train with Tim Kennedy and like uh, he invited me to a sheepdog course. I'm friends with a lot of like vets now. I have a better, I have an easier time talking about my anti-war views with those guys than I do with people who have never served. And the reason is because I'm not anti-troop, which a lot of liberals are, right? Like, but I'm, I'm anti-war because I'm pro-troop because I don't want troops to die because of some bullshit reason, right? Those are conversations that need to be have. And I think the majority of people do live in the gray. 
and they do screw up and they do change their mind politically and they do cheat or they do drink too much or they do, you know, whatever it is. And if we take away that path for evolution, for redemption, for whatever, a lot of them just double down again. You can know they just double down and they go, well, you know what? If I'm, if I'm not gonna be able to work anyway, yeah, fuck women. I might as well become this like anti-feminist, you know, whatever, and and make a paycheck. Like, or you know, uh, so many people who are out of shape or who are unhealthy, and I've done this. They use humor as a defense mechanism. Oh, I'm just a fat guy, or I'm just the jealous girl, or I'm just a whatever. And by doing that and putting that out in the world, you're essentially saying I don't have to get better. I'm owning this, so I don't have to get better mm-hmm. because that's easier. And it's like, no, man, you should root for people to become more open-minded. You should root for people to learn from their mistakes. Because if not, it's like all you're doing is putting up a wall so people don't look at you and you're just trying to fucking bury strangers on the internet. And like, what a horrific life that is. We don't have that much time, but um, I want to go into a little bit just of what it was like to be on that far left progressive side. Obviously, you're closed-minded and attacking other people every day and then right after that what was that i don't think we really went into obviously i know you said you were suicidal but other than that what did that aftermath look like and how long I, did it take to get through that yeah so i mean i'm st- st- uh, still like yeah, i, I yeah. still haven't gotten through it uh you know my first answer was just going to be like I, I don't know it was suicidal that's all i was thinking about yeah. but to 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 make it relatable to your audience just about shit talking on the internet in general. What's so crazy about an internet pile on is you are carrying your, you're carrying all of those people with you in your pocket, in your phone. Um, I think I may have said this on Rogan where like, there was one point when I was like, I was fighting with someone on Twitter, some journalist. And he was, he was a big journalist and he was with his kids at the beach and he was fighting with me. So we're both just fucking miserable. And I go, uh, I go, uh, yeah, I, I, I got to stop this. I'm gonna go for a walk. And I lived on prospect park in Brooklyn at the time I go to the park and I don't even know how it happened. And suddenly I'm on the phone fighting with someone else. Like that's, th- th- that's the life of these like Twitter warriors. When there is a pylon, whether it is in your high school, whether it is Twitter at large, it feels like the entire world thinks the worst thing about you. I walked around Los Angeles as probably the least famous person in Los Angeles with a hoodie and sunglasses because I thought I was like some wanted sex offender. Um, When you are on a date and you look at your phone, a stranger could be calling you a cuck. When you're taking a shit, Someone is calling you. You're bringing that everywhere. And so it does feel like the entire world that it's everybody, that it's your neighbor, that it's the person whose dog you want to pet at the park, you know. Um, But what I realized is that in real life, like it's not real. Like it's not real. You just you are a good person in real life and you start to realize, oh, it's not everybody. It's not, it's not even everyone at jujitsu. It's not everyone. It's not even everyone who listens to Joe Rogan. You know how many times someone has come up to me so excited that I've been on Joe Rogan's at jujitsu. They go, yo, I heard you on Rogan. And I'm like, keep it down, bud. Like whatever, because I assume that they think I'm some like sex pest. 
And then they go, oh, the shit. No, dude, it was fucking awesome. What's Joe like? And like, that's all they want to know. But in your head, you've internalized the absolute worst um, part about it where you're like, oh, everyone knows that I'm a piece of shit. And, you know, that comes to the same reason that I never wanted to be single. It's like the more you anyone who is struggling with depression, whatever. When when you're focusing on just these outside, I have to make these people like me. I have to get a girlfriend. I have to do this. It's never going to work. It has to just be looking in. And how can I be the best person possible? And then once you start to become confident and believe in yourself, now the tweets matter a little less. Now if you're single, that matters a little less. Now maybe you can get rid of your toxic fucking alcoholic friends because you know that it's time for you to move on. Does that make sense? Yeah. You, now, just to clear it up, there was all these accusations, but you didn't you didn't go to jail. You didn't have you, were you in lawsuits? They when lawsuits even the word accusation, the way I phrased it on Joe's, if everything that was written about me was true, which it is not, it was literally the things I just listed to you. Yeah. Affair, uh flirting, consensual one night stands, calling a lady a road fuck. That got turned like, would you ever use the word accusation? When I see the word accusations, I cringe because it's like when you hear accusations, you think like, yeah, you were you, you used your power, harassed women, um, uh, some kind of, uh, uh, yeah, like forcing yourself, like whatever. Um, none of that was even let alone that it go to, you know, court or anything. No, because you can't bring someone to court for like having an affair yeah it's it's crazy how you know something can get ridden and it's there forever you know and these these headlines are so dangerous you know and i don't know what the repercussions are for the journalists like is was there anything that you could do to be like yeah you have to take this down or i'm suing you i mean maybe when i like blow up and get that kind of money i mean this is another reason and i again i shouldn't say this but like another reason i'm an easy target is like i've talked about struggling i've talked about losing my money i've talked about dealing with depression and whatever so people are like oh we can go after you i mean i have saved from the jujitsu thing from i have posts screenshots voice memos all that stuff i just don't want to go down that fucking road i just want to live my life um, you know, it, but yeah, I mean, like I could get money and I could get a lawyer and I could absolutely sue the shit out of everybody. But I also, I don't know, man, I just want it to be fucking done. And I just want to try to make a living doing good thing. Even when I went on Rogan's, I mean, even this show, like my friends and my, the, the women I date, they get the full story. But if I went on and said like everything that like this girl said, or here's that screenshot, but now that's my life. And I'm like, I don't want a life trashing women. I still would consider myself like, you know, obviously like very pro women or, you know, whatever, like every once in a while I'll I'll get people who are like, uh, Hey man, like big fan, like you've been through a lot, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, thank you so much. And then sometimes I'll get people who are like, Hey man, like, you know, big fan, like these fucking whores. Right. And I'm like, no buddy, I don't want you on my team. Like, I don't want to go down that, that road, you know? Um, It's like like someone who finds out you're not for black lives matter. So now they're going to start, you know, saying racist things to you. Like you're going to agree with them. And yeah, you know, it's like, 
Not that like, that happens to me, but I think it's a good parallel to draw. Yeah, where you're like, no, 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 I, I can be against an organization and it doesn't mean I'm a fucking racist, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, look, if some big lawyer was like, hey, man, uh, I'll, I'll just take a cut when you win, there would, I don't want people to suffer, even the people who said stuff about me. I just want to move on with my fucking life. Yeah. I just want the first page of my Google search to not look like I'm some some sex predator. It sucks, bro. I feel, I feel you. What do you, because you were the, I I just read this, uh, believe women, hashtag believe women thing. Yeah. Where do you stand with that now? Like, what do you think the best way to handle these situations where a woman could come out and I know the accusation word, I don't know the real definition of, of it at this point, but, a woman could come out and especially if you're famous, even if you're not, could say something and right away that's in the headlines and your life is ruined forever. What do you what do we do to fix this issue? Man, it's very hard. So I don't have like a pre thought out soundbite, which I probably should. But I can say so for you guys who don't know what Chris was talking about is before my thing happened, it was like hashtag believe all women, which is essentially like the second a woman says something like benefit of the doubt goes with her. And, you know, I said this on Joe's show where you spend your life going, believe all women, believe all women. And then someone says something untrue about you and you want to go, well, don't don't believe that woman. You know what I mean? Like literally the things that were said about me were things that I would trash other guys about when they were said about him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the temptation is to go fully in the opposite direction, which you don't want to suddenly be like, believe all men. Right. And all yeah. women are liars. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this has happened a little bit with the me too thing where the turning point I believe was, did you ever read the Aziz Ansari story that came out? No. So Aziz was just like on a date. They were consensually hooking up. He was just, it sounded like he was like awkward and maybe like handsier than I would have been. Um, and a website, uh, the intrepid, uh, just like the New York times, babe.net posted a like unfact checked piece about it. And Aziz disappeared for a year. And a lot of women, you know, the people I get the most emails from in support are not only women, but they're women who have actually been sexually assaulted or they're women who have actually been in abusive relationships Mm -hmm. because they go, when you're conflating a shitty relationship with what happened to me, that's bullshit. And with the Aziz story, the same thing happened. People started taking me too less seriously because let's say a woman came with like accusations like, oh, what? Like the Aziz thing? That was just a shitty date, whatever. So one of the things I say a lot is like, it's actually making it bad for women when you have these you know, wishy-washy accusations or whatever. Um, I guess where I'm at now, and and I will probably get in trouble for saying this, is like there are a lot of creepy guys and there are also a lot of crazy girls. And, you know, I kind of always still era with the side of the victim because you hear a story like that and your compassion kicks in and your empathy kicks in and your anger kicks in and you just you see someone who is hurting and they're saying someone hurt them and you know i mean like you chris like you may not be like you know a loud progressive whatever but like you're a fighter like if if someone you know if a girl you know came to you and said like my boyfriend just did this like you're going to that guy's house you know what i mean i I have to Uh, yeah (laughs) and so that instinct is still there. 
And I mean, if I'm being totally honest, I don't know if I've said this before. I've had guys reach out to me on DM. That's like, hey, man, like something kind of similar is happening to me. And I'm like, like, dude, I send strangers voice memos on Instagram who are depressed, who are whatever. But I still get very like, uh, I don't want to become what if what if you're a creep? Like, I don't want to be friends with you. And then I realize there are people who do that to me. And I don't really know what to do about that. Like, I think it's common sense, right? It's, it's, if someone's hurting, you want to be there for them. You want to listen to them. You don't want to shoot down the woman before you hear all the facts. And then if it turns out it's shady, it's like, okay, it's shady. <laughs> like, and yeah. then, and then you walk away. I don't know. Do you have like an answer to that? Cause I, mine's I, I think you, I think, I, I don't think there's any answer because it's the internet and, and people, could put anything they want on the internet and it's going to be there. So that's a tough thing. But I think you nailed, you know, nailed it on the head when you said that the women who are coming out and lying about something happening to them or, com- or conflating something that, I mean, sometimes they could subconsciously or even maybe yet yeah, most likely subconsciously making something that was maybe innocent and nothing crazy into something that was more in order to get attention for themselves and or you know, drag down somebody that they see is winning and they may not feel good about themselves at that time. Yeah. And the issue with that is that it ruins it for the the women out there that really do need to be believed. Right. And, and it just sucks because a guy taking advantage of a woman is one of the worst things that somebody could ever do. Right. It is everyone hates bullying. It is the number one bullying tactic for someone else's gain. It's disgusting. It's and, disgusting. and the fact that there's women out there that are lying about it. They need to be cancel cultured. You know, the, the people need to come at them more than anybody because that's the way to really truly believe women is to is to cancel them and to let them know any woman that comes out and it's it, and it's not and it's lies and we find out it's a lie. They need to be canceled on a whole different stratosphere. And yeah, and and again, it's it's hypocrites, right? The uh, look, I was I'm, I'm not the biggest Biden fan in the world, but I was more Biden over Trump. However, when Biden had accusations against him and some of the biggest voices in Me Too in Time's Up, wh- whatever it was, just tried to shut the girl up who was going after Biden. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What happened to fucking believe all women? Like, just because it's your homie, you know what I mean? And like, that's when I just... I wish that people could operate on principles instead of teams and principles mean if you don't like this thing Obama did, but Trump does it, you still don't like it. Mm -hmm. If you don't like this thing that Trump did, but Biden does it or Clinton does it, you still don't like it. And you know, it's, it's really hard to do, but when you were talking about how disgusting it is, you're right. Like to weaponize something as heinous as sexual assault, weaponize it for political gains or because you're mad at someone um it's gross and 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 yeah it makes it harder for i mean look we should all it's so easy right we should all just kind of be spending our life how do we become better how do we make people happy how do we live a good life all done but it becomes so addicting as it was addicting for me to just go after other people because then you don't have to look at yourself. You're like, I'm being self-righteous. I'm, you know, taking down the bad guys. You feel like a little, a little internet warrior, um, but you're not doing anything, man. And you're torturing yourself. 
Yeah. And I also think another part of that is, is that people are in different places in their life. You know, people aren't able to be as clear headed as you and conscious about all this as when they're wrapped up in a different part of their life where like, just like you were at that, at that time. Well, you know, I don't if know I if I would have told you this back yeah. You're a conservative, you're voting Republican, or you're a liberal and you're voting for a Democrat, and you have to stick with those boxes and you have to stick with the narrative that that team is writing for you to stick with and against probably a lot of your principles. And yeah. it's tough because you're the, the president that you want to be elected because for the most part, he's going to do the policies that you feel like best fit you. Um Without you siding with him and voting for him, you know you're not going to get the majority of things that you want done. But yeah. when you go too far, I think that's, that's well. The issue. I I remember the tweet I made about Biden was something like, "I can't wait for Biden win so for Biden to win so I can criticize him every day." Like that's kind of you know how I think it should be, right? Like it's what you do with your family. You hold the people that you agree with or you love like accountable. Um, but yeah, that 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 doesn't really happen. And you know. I appreciate you saying that about me, but to be very clear, I don't know. Anytime I get a sort of compliment about either mental health or, you know, the, the political, like whatever. Um, I don't know if it would have happened if I didn't rock bottom, like, and you know, people are like, aren't you glad? I'm like, I will be when I can afford health insurance. But <laughs> other than that, it's like, that is something that good that I got out of it, you know? Uh, and I think a lot of people, you really do think you're doing the right thing until it gets taken away and you're sort of forced to examine. It's like you either die or you figure out like what the fuck you were doing wrong. And, and that's where you get to make that, that sort of choice. And, you know, I don't know if the choice I made was easier, but at the very least having survived up until now and becoming the person I am, this is definitely the proudest I've ever been of myself, like as a man, um, and I mean, dude, like this is a topic for another podcast, but even like, like I've had such a, I don't know, fear or like issues with masculinity. You, I've been doing jujitsu for like 15 years or whatever. And I still very timid, very timid around guys, never lifted weights, always thought masculinity was kind of like a bad word. Um, not seeing the good in it, you know, and I feel like this is the first year since being in, in Texas and uh, lifting and being around like dudes that I'm like, oh, masculinity is actually a really great thing. Welcome um, to being a man. This is Let's it. Go. This is it. Right, right, right. <laughs> I, uh, I'm like literally eating steak and I still am like covered in vegan tattoos. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's and again, confident and it's 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 making me nicer too. Like the more confident you are, you're, you're, you're nicer, you're stronger. You want to defend people more. You, you know, I mean, man, that's a whole nother topic. So you got to come on my podcast and we'll talk about being a man. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. Yeah. I, I honestly, I could talk to you forever. And there's a bunch of hot topics that we have brought up already that I'm like, I could keep going into this right I know. now. I love well, that actually makes me, like, dude, that makes me feel so good because I was on your Instagram and I was like, who else has he had on the podcast? Because I'm going to subscribe now. I'm a fan now. And I was like, oh, man, fucking Stipe and Al Jermaine. I was like, how in the world am I going to be an entertaining guest after uh, after those guys? But then I told myself, I'm like, well, I have been through more shit than them. So I have that. 
Bro, honestly, you're a super smart guy, very artistic, obviously. Um, and uh, you figured you figured your shit out. Now I know, obviously, it's life is always a struggle. You know, it's a, you, you never, no one ever gets it down perfect for every single day. You know, we're like the mornings are always better than the evenings. You know, you're like the best sure. person, at least for me. That's why I think morning routines are the best because like Same. you have more control over that period of time, and then life spirals out of control. All of my creative work again. Yep, all of my creative work is done by noon. All yeah. the podcast, my writing, my all that's done. And then I yeah. work out and then the rest of the day is like a fucking crapshoot. Like, am I going to do good things or am I going to do nothing? Yeah. And and I, we got to talk about things that I actually haven't got to talk about yet with people, um, which was which is awesome. I I you you got more out of me than I've got uh, than other people have been able to get out of me in on my own podcast. Dude, so I, I appreciate say, it. I like this. It. Is, this is one of my favorite podcasts I've done uh, maybe ever. But definitely in a very long time, I was like, even when I book my podcast and you're kind of doing it the same way, I usually just book people that I'm like, who would I be friends with? Like, instead of just, oh, this guy has a book coming out. I guess I got to do some research. And uh, and those are my favorite podcasts where I'm just kind of like, oh, I guess I got I, I guess I got Chris Weidman's back for life. So that's the yeah. thing that happened. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I'm just trying to uh, broaden my horizons and. Talk to different guys, man. And your story is super inspirational. It's going to hit a whole different demographic than I could ever hit. Um, yeah. So I really appreciate you coming on, buddy. Dude, and, anytime, and, I'm, and I'm excited to come on your podcast. But before we go, why don't you tell everybody the name of your podcast, where they yes. can find you and all that. Okay. So you can go to jamiekillsteampodcast.com. Um, the flagship show, which has everyone. I mean, this week I had the very famous Nicole Aniston porn star, and then the showrunner and head writer of family guy, like in the I same listen, I listened to some of that. That was good with Nicole. Oh, Aniston. thanks man. Yeah. yeah she's, <laughs> she's great. Uh, yeah. so it's, uh, that's called a fuck ups guide to the universe. Um, the jujitsu podcast is called rear naked radio. Um, and then for the maybe 20 professional wrestling fans listening, I just started a brand new wrestling podcast called wow. K babes, uh, which I'm very excited about. And then, uh, Instagrams where I make the comedy videos, talk about mental health. Instagram is at the Jamie Kilstein. And then my Twitter, uh, which is a little more topical and shit is at Jamie Kilstein. Awesome, man. Everybody go follow him and. You hold that mic that whole time for every one of those podcasts. Are you trying to get your left bicep jacked? I know. You know what it is? And, and I, I thought this was normal because I've never bought a mic stand. It's because I'm used to being a comic. Gotcha. So, so you feel most stand, comfortable actually being able to free move this thing around and free. When I go into studios and I'm like very, yeah, yeah, I like to like toss it back and forth and like. I'm with you on that. All right, cool. And like shit it. for ever. Yeah, makes sense to me. All right, brother. Great talking to you, man. And you too, uh, bro. Let me know what's on your podcast too. Fuck yeah. Take care, buddy. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Jamie Kilstein. Um, I really do appreciate his honesty, and I really do feel for him when it comes to his past following him. Um, I got to be honest. If you Googled my name and uh, predatory behavior was one of the main things that came up and there was all these accusations about me, I might just want to crawl up into a bowl and cry and kind of give up on going into the public eye and give up on a lot of things in life, you know, definitely bring you down. So I, I applaud his courageous behavior and him trying to stay in the limelight and, and push through by constantly defending himself, not being afraid of talking about it and getting his side of the story out. And, uh, it was a great conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, 
I don't know if your minds were, were changed on him. I know my mind was changed on him. I think uh, he's a great guy who's trying to push through some adversity. And a lot of it was unwarranted adversity. And it's just amazing how he's still losing gigs and not able to really make money the way he probably should be able to make money. Um, the other thing I really enjoyed about this conversation was that we went into some politics. Obviously, he was very uh, far left um, at one point, but he really has became open-minded. And for me, I think that's the most important thing, whether you're leaning left or you're leaning right. I think the most important thing is that you are open-minded to other people's ideas. You may not agree with them. Uh, people have different opinions, but at least have the courage to hear people out and not get so angry when it's something that you don't believe. Uh, try to stay calm, hear people out and, um, be understanding, but also stand your ground on what you believe. And so I think this conversation was a testament to that. Um, I don't think we are on the same wavelength exactly when it comes to politics, but we were able to talk about politics and different hot topics that are going around in this world right now uh, that a lot of people don't want to talk about because you get so irate about it. Uh, so it felt refreshing for me to just be able to talk to somebody who is on a different page than me and have a nice cool conversation and become friends. Uh, again, if you want to go check out the video of this conversation, it's over on my YouTube channel where I also post weekly videos about my comeback. Before I go, I just want to read this podcast review from Buck Blue, who says, this show has rapidly become one of my top go-to listens each week. I'm so glad I found it. I appreciate that, Buck Blue. I appreciate you listening. If you guys would like to hear your review on next week's show, just head on over to the Apple Podcasts and find Won't Back Down and tell us why you like it or dislike it. I am open to all opinions and we will take those opinions and try to make our show better every single week. Um, if you guys are willing to write down any of the stories that you have in your life where you overcame adversity and you had that Won't Back Down mentality, we'd love to share that on the show as well. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. And don't forget to come back next week to listen to the next conversation. But until then, I'm Chris Wyman, and this is Won't Back Down. Thanks for listening.